Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Yeah, so just moving into your posture. And allowing to come to mind your intention for practice this morning. And seeing upon reflection if that intention can be truly embodied. So much so that it becomes an, a source of energy for the practice. Feeling the intention body, heart, and mind. And next, allowing some gratitude to arise, reflecting on how precious and rare this opportunity is, not only to sit, but to sit with Sangha. Like the Buddha said, a single moment of mindfulness. Is it better than 100 years of life without it? A single moment of mindfulness is better than an entire lifetime. And how many moments of mindfulness can we have sitting here today 
are precious. And allowing this to add to the energy of your practice. This gratitude can create spiritual urgency. Knowing that this precious opportunity is here. And also knowing that we do not know how much longer moments like this will appear. this magical intersection of causes and conditions that allows for self-awareness, absolutely amazing. We are here and we know that we're here. And by allowing the mind to relax, using less and less effort, the more and more the mind remains awake. This is liberation through non-grasping mind. With eyes closed, you know that you have a body.
So allowing the mind to stay awake by simply being mindful of body. moment by moment, continuing to listen. Listening to the body telling you about its existence. Through sensation, a felt sense.
and with eyes closed, you can know the environment around you. Just using this open awareness, how do you know there's a floor beneath you? And space above and all around. And what else can this awareness tell you about your outer environment? Continuing to listen.
And continuing to stay curious. And next, looking at the mind itself. And the mind cannot be perceived or known by any of the senses. Yet we know it's there. So tuning into that which knows that the mind is there even when the senses cannot perceive it.
Hello and welcome, friends. Good to see you. Yeah, it's fun. I don't, I don't think I never remember having a Sunday sit or teaching a Sunday sit at least on Halloween. It's kind of fun. Um, yeah, thinking of the masks we wear, you know, on a um, a daily basis. Yeah, so just thinking of of yeah, that's like I mentioned in the beginning of the talk, just like setting down our our uh, our fabrications that we that we overlay on top of ourselves um, that are sometimes scary. <laughs> uh, thinking of that as a concept that this day, um, and maybe a little bit of an impermanence too, of how we shift and change and become certain things you know so i wanted to chat today and kind of have us all kind of sit with uh living at the source like it's actually a title of a vivekananda book uh, swami vivekananda is really a really amazing teacher um now one of the first swamis to come over in the you know, earlier, like 1950 era, you know, to coming over to America and spreading really amazing teachings from India. So I wanted to chat today about what that means, like living at this, living at the source and giving some readings from these beings that, you know, I think are living from the source and kind of feeling into that. And you know, first, I just want to talk about motivation, because I, that's everything. You know, if we don't have the motivation, we're not going to be, we're not going to do what it takes to sit there. And I was at a, I taught a half day retreat yesterday for Inside LA up in Benedict Canyon. And I don't even know if I got to post it really. So, um, you know, I kind of apologize for that. But what happened was, is we sold out so fast. Um, we posted it and then, it, and then it sold out because I think so many people are yearning to sit in person. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I didn't, didn't even get to mention it to, to the Sangha. But anyway, it was really wonderful. And, you know, the shares at the end and talking to people at the end, uh, a lot of them didn't have any kind of a any any sangha uh, a lot of a lot of them were new to the practice and it just filled me up with so much you know gratitude uh for our group and and for how long that we have been able to sit together and, and the commitment that everyone makes to continue to show up i mean a perfect example of looking at all of you today and um and how long we've been sitting and you know this past week um, I just gave myself a buzz cut, you know, cause I'm losing so much hair, you know, <laughs> and Bob, who all of, you know, most of, you know, Bob Castro Pollux, he's like, Oh, you buzzed your hair. And I was like, kind of, it just, but the hair fell out. Like most of it just fell out, you know, like I just don't have hair left. Right. And, and I was thinking that I had hair when we started like, <laughs> like 10 years ago, like it's coming up on, this will be eight years you know, right? See, Mark's showing what's up. Um, 
there you go, Anthony. <laughs> and it's like, that's how I feel like I had a pretty, I had a decent amount of hair back then, you know, and that's how long we've been sitting together. Um, enough to, yeah, to lose my hair, right? But, but I'm also thinking in, in, in that same way, how, how rare it is for us to move into the place of real, you know, uh, this real deep yearning for awakening um, and that we can't wait. We cannot wait any longer, you know, and, and like the longer that I share the teachings, the more I get like a bit aggressive with this is that because the more that I share, the more I realize that people are putting it off. And I see it within myself all the time too, you know, wanting to put it off and putting the, putting the to-do list first. And I see, you know, young practitioners doing this, older practitioners doing this. It's like this to-do list, like F the to-do list. You're going to die with the to-do list, you know, screw the to-do list. It's, we can't put anything above the practice if there's no tomorrow there's absolutely no tomorrow and you know the hump that we need to get over and we can get over it over and over again and you might find that you've already gotten over it and then kind of falling back into it or whatnot but the hump is i want to do this i want to do this more than i want to do anything else if there's 10 minutes, it's so fun, you know, working from home. If there's 10 minutes that I'm waiting on my next appointment or session or something, I want to be in here. I'm in, I'm sitting right here in my meditation room. I want to come in here for 10 minutes. I want, I, I can't wait to find 10 minutes, five minutes to practice. And all it takes to get to that point is just a little bit at a time just like anything else that we, it becomes habitual and then it becomes something that we really look forward to. It could be, you know, that moment in time, uh, you know, with exercise that it be, it's difficult and then we want to do it just like anything else. Short time, many time, strip by drip fills the cup, but it's also filling up our desire for the practice. And that's, what's so cool about everyone still showing up because it's not about just sitting it's about every day taking in a little bit of Dharma. Every single day, take in a little bit of something, a Dharma talk, take in um, you know, a book, take in moments of practice. And that adds up to a yearning like this, like Yogananda would say, we have to want this like a drowning man wants air. You know, if you're drowning and you want air, that's how bad that you want it. You know, that, that desire for the practice. Lama Yeshi, you know, he would meditate for hours in the morning and then he would take a nap in the afternoon. And everyone knew that he had to go take a nap. And it didn't matter where he was or where he was traveling or how busy his schedule was. And he'd tell people that, you know, he's, you know, uh, tired. He'd always normalize it. Like he just needs to go take a nap. But his nap time was more practice. Everybody that really knew he was going for more practice midday, and then he'd meditate at night again. So they would always put that into his schedule because he needed it. He yearned for it. So living at the source to, 
is just living at the source in our own way multiple times a day, you know, coming back home to it and reflecting on anything that we need to reflect on to make that happen. If it's death and impermanence, do death and impermanence. If it's something positive for you, something positive, but the willpower always comes after, you know, it comes after like, do not wait for the willpower. <laughs> do the action. Take one moment of breath. Breathing in, I know that I'm breathing in. Breathing out, I know that I'm breathing out. You just did it. You know, I have, I have clients, I have one-on-one -on -one clients that continuously, for long periods of time, I work with them to get to the cushion. Then I have other clients that continuously practice. They're like really good practitioners. And I know within a shadow of a doubt, if, when I connect with, the, with those individuals that are practicing, they're going to blow my mind every single time I talk to them. Every single time I talk to them that they're sitting every single day, they blow my mind with what they're realizing in their practice. Every single time. They're, all, they're like Buddhas. Every time I'm just like, wow, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. Just sitting. Even what they're learning about resistance to sitting, about all of it, you know, it's incredible. But we, we can't wait. You know, we can't, we can't wait. So I thought that I would just talk about some examples of these really amazing beings. One of my favorites is Punja. It's an incredible book. The truth is, if any of you have ever gotten this, uh, you know, purchased this book, it's absolutely incredible. Uh, Papaji, he's also known by Papaji. He's one of those, those beings that everything that he says is is coming from this surreal place of, of enlightened mind. And even if you ask him these mundane questions, he goes into this, uh, you know, how he sees the world. This is a being that's truly, truly living at the source. And so I think that, you know, reading and listening to beings that are living at the source, this is so, so profound because it's an entire view that's so unique and so different. So I'm going to read, um, read, a, read a few of these. So he teaches with satsang. So people come and they ask him questions and, and he answers them. That's his whole teaching. He doesn't really give like Dharma talks. He just answers questions, you know. And so the student says, I'm so excited to see you again and to be in your presence. Very simple comment right he's probably he hasn't got to his question yet right he's just like hey good to see you and papa g says you are most welcome let us see each other i will see you but you will not see me what is this phenomena usually if i see you must also you must also see me but you don't see me you only see my face don't see my face only see what cannot be seen. 
then you will really see me and I will see you. Kiss your own self and tell me what it tastes, what taste it has. To describe this kiss, you can only give a kiss. It cannot be described because it, because it is beyond the concepts of the mind. The kiss is no mind and desirelessness is the taste of it. So have no desires and have this taste. This is how it comes. When you are desireless, then happiness comes. Try this now, and this is happiness. Isn't that awesome? Like I just said, good to see you. <laughs> but he, good to see me. He's like, you don't see me. So he's, he's, he's really perceiving on how, on, on how that individual's, you know, perceiving. So he's like, hey, are you really seeing me? So the next question. Papa, I'm here for a Shaktipat or to remove my doubts or to satisfy my spiritual appetite. Oh, so am I? Am I here for a Shaktipat or to remove my doubts or to satisfy my spiritual appetite? You know, Shaktipat is like when the teacher gives you like this blessing, you know. And Papa Jesus, preferably you are here to remove your doubts. And after that, oh, and after they are removed, the self will transmit its power unto you. This is called Shaktipat. And you are not to satisfy your spiritual appetite, but live as spirit itself. Be spirit itself. So am I here to remove doubts? Am I here for Shaktipat? Am I here to, to satisfy my spiritual appetite? And he's like, you're here to remove your doubts. But after that doubt is removed, the self will reveal itself to you. you know, live as spirit yourself. Spirit itself. And so this next individual says, I have, I have no more questions. So this is a this is something that, you know, especially in the non-dual world, you know, like we, you know, you've reached it when there's there's no more questions. There's no more questions to be had. So it's kind of this this place of freedom. But being an omniscient master, you know, Papaji looks into this a little bit deeper. He says, two people have no questions. One is a wise person, and so they have nothing to ask. A man at home is not lost. The other one is someone who doesn't know that there is something to question. So some have no question on account of their light and wisdom, but some people do not know. So when the questions arise, Please don't be discouraged or disheartened because it's a good sign. So he's like, you know, if you don't have, if you have questions, it's okay. All the mud, which has settled below the surface of the mind rises and, and wind stirred, and it's on its way out in the form of a question. Therefore, the questions have to be asked. And so don't be shy to ask them. When these doubts have been removed, you will see the reflection 
of self within the mirror of your own mind. Then you will recognize that this is what you came here for. And you can't do this when the surface is disturbed. And again, it's more, it's, it's about what he's teaching, but it's how he's perceiving. That is, it's so wonderful to see. Um, another one of my favorites, just about, you know, when you ever ask this person a question, she always comes back with these really amazing answers from this completely different viewpoint is Byron Katie. Um, a Thousand Names for Joy is my favorite book of hers, where she translates in this very loose way that Dao Vi Ching, like her husband is asking her, you know, what she feels about a certain phrase, and then she, then she talks about it. Yeah, and how she is perceiving it is just wonderful, how she perceives reality. So the verse is... Why did the ancient masters esteem the Tao? Because being with the Tao, when you seek, you find. And when you make a mistake, you are forgiven. So this is her thoughts on that. I love that what is of true value can't be seen or heard. It's nothing and it's everything. It's nowhere. And it's right under your nose. It is your nose, as a matter of fact, along with everything else. It can't be reached or achieved, but as soon as you start looking for it, you leave it. It doesn't have to be achieved, only noticed. Nothing anyone says is true, and no thought that arises within you is true. There's nothing, and yet here is the world again the sun in the sky, the sidewalk, the dog trotting along on a leash. When you understand that you are one with reality, you don't seek because you realize that what you have is what you want. Everything makes sense because you don't superimpose your thinking onto reality. And when you make a mistake, you realize immediately that it wasn't a mistake. It was what should have happened because it happened. Before the fact, there were infinite possibilities. After the fact, there was only one. The more clearly you realize that would have, could have, should have are just unquestioned thoughts, the more you can appreciate the value that apparent mistake, the value of that apparent mistake and what it produced. Seeing this is forgiveness in totality. In the clarity of understanding, forgiveness is unnecessary. In the clarity of understanding, forgiveness is unnecessary. So back to the original verse, why did the ancient masters esteem the Tao? Because being one with the Tao, when you seek, you find, and when you make a mistake, you are forgiven. Again, I love the view, this, this, this continual view of, you know, surrender, essence, non-conceptualization, 
really, really living from the source and being completely authentic and honest about it. And again, we're here right now. Living at the source is just absolute awakening right here, right now. And in both of those, in both of those topics, in, you know, both of those teachings, they talked about the removal of doubt. You know, Papaji was talking about that. The removal of doubt. Um, if we continuously kind of like the, the, the mantra, you know, Buddha's mantra was liberation through non-grasping mind. And there's all these questions that come up with, well, how do I meet this? How do I meet judgment? You know, how do I meet self-loathing? How do I meet, um, you know, like how, lack of focus, lack of concentration, a lack of energy. Actually, in all of that is satisfied through uh, liberation through non-grasping mind. All of it. How do we meet our, non our, our judgments? Non-grasping mind. Even energy comes through non-grasping mind. You know, it's actually, um, how tired are, are we when we worry? You ever worried yourself into fatigue? You know, like people say, oh, I'm, I'm so tired. I have so much going on. I'm so, it's, it takes a lot of energy to follow thoughts. Focus doesn't take any energy. Concentration doesn't take any energy. The only thing that could take us away from this moment is grabbing on to a thought. The only way that could remove us from, from unlimited you know, potentiality is grabbing onto that thought and becoming finite, becoming subject object once again. It's the only thing that happens. So, you know, these teachings, teachers are just continuously, you know, piercing through that veil uh, that there's something to get. And, and that's what I, I think the removal of doubt is the one thing that we get when we listen over and over. There is some, there is some merit, you know, to the listening coupled with our own practice. Because I think that's what gets lost is that there's nothing wrong with you know, listening to the Dharma talks and all of this stuff, but those are perishable. So we, if we don't couple them with practice, they get lost and actually can, can, it can begin to add to self-doubt because you're like, oh, I'm not getting anywhere. I'm really, I'm really, you know, in the Dharma and I'm trying and I'm listening and all this stuff, but I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. It's because it'll slough off like the memory of things and the, the thinking and the contemplation and those types of things will slough off, but true experience really sticks. When we meet the sun, when we meet the clarity of mind, when we meet its luminosity, when we meet uh, the vast expanse of our own being, when we meet inner tranquility, that, that never leaves. You know, that, that becomes a, a part of us. And e even even if we kind of stray off from our practice, we know that was there. I've tasted that. That's within me, right? And we can grow and nurture that, you know, along the way. And then th these things become continuously, they become a source for clarification saying, oh, you know what? That's what I'm experiencing. That's what I'm experiencing. So that they work together in 
removing that that doubt but we have to practice too like we just can't stay and just and just the listening listening contemplation you know the three phases of practice listening contemplation meditation fruition listening contemplation meditation fruition right and again i'll state it a gazillion times i'm not talking about 45 minutes on the cushion every day without missing it do something small every single day. Where's Joe at? Joe mentioned, hope he doesn't mind me asking or revealing this. But Joe was saying, I forget, maybe we're doing the writing retreat or something. But Joe has said that he has something, if I'm saying this, remembering this right, Joe, he has something in his truck. He has something in his car. And it's... um. I think it's on the heavenly messengers, old age, sickness, and death or something. But he was recalling at some point. You want to unmute yourself, Joe? I, I kind of latched onto the five remembrances. There you go. So he has yeah. the, the five remembrances, right? Um, yeah, old age, sickness, and death, you know. And so something, and he, and he was saying, you know, I, I look at these, I look at these daily and, and they just, I'm just reminded, reminded of them. So something, anything, right? So, um, yeah, so let me see one more from Vivekananda then we can go into, um, and go into small breakout rooms too. So, so Vivekananda, you know, obviously he's not Buddhist. He's a um, Hindu, Swami. The universe is a dream. Blessed am I that I know this moment that I shall be free all eternity. That I know that I'm worshiping only myself. That no nature, no delusion had any hold on me. Vanish nature from me, vanish these gods, vanish worship, vanish superstitions, for I know myself. I am the infinite. All these miss so-and-so, Mr. So-and-so, responsibility, happiness, misery have vanished. Whom shall I fear? I am the one. Shall I be afraid of myself? Who is to be afraid of whom? I am the one existence. Nothing else exists. I am everything. So I thought, um, in our breakout rooms, we could chat about what brings us back. What brings us back to our practice? What are our, our touch points so we could learn from one another? What are our touch points that kind of bring us back? It doesn't matter how small, like I mentioned. What are the things that remind you to practice um, and, and keep you connected? And of course, our, our, our sits and our sangha, you know, for sure. 
are such such a beautiful example of that's so incredibly important. Um, yeah, so maybe we could just just check in with with each other for, with that and um, and learn from one another. All right. All right. So um, yeah, what did what did we come up with? <laughs> Anthony might have something to say about that. I think there's some sort of a colon there going on. Um, so, um, yeah, I think that the word that really connected for me, I mean, of all the different things that you shared today is curiosity um, and um, getting into that state when things come up when the mind's chattering. That's what I was sharing um, in the group. So thank you for that. And um, I'm not sure what brings me back to awareness, but other than the fact that I've practiced, other than the, the practice that, that, that I've invested in, in over the years, when I have things arise and then I become aware of them, mm -hmm. or I just become aware. I mean, whether it's, whether it's a point of uh, recognizing reactivity or whether it's just being, finding myself in awareness. Mm -hmm something a response or reaction to a something that's unpleasant or pleasant it could be something that's just you know finding myself you know choosing to set that intention of being aware when i'm out on a walk or just you know inter i was interacting with the cat of good fortune or something like that that comes up spontaneously at night when i'm walking sometimes i don't know mm -hmm. so i don't know what causes it but i'm grateful for when it happens maybe it's the practice it's got to be right so you and claire are on the same page then yeah don't know what is this <laughs> <laughs> uh claire uses what is this i use moot um and i start moot when i open my eyes in the morning uh what's moot what's moot moot no yeah moot m-u moot means no M or nothing doesn't no know or nothing. buddha nature moot nice yeah 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 so it it, it uh expands very well and then it you know uh so it works for me and i'm mm -hmm. finding that uh I started using koans about five years ago and that I'm able to hold on to move uh, the majority of the day, whether mm -hmm. I'm brushing my teeth, I'm riding my bike uh, until, you know, I'm intensely involved with something like speaking or problem solving, it disappears. And then as soon as that stops, it comes back. And uh, it's my last thought when I go to bed at night. So there's a lot of cutting off thought relinquishing thoughts, feelings, and perceptions throughout the day. Uh, so there was a time in my practice where it was very difficult for me to practice regularly. Um, you know, I practiced regularly for a few months and then, you know, I'd get busy and it would fall off, but I'm finding that now, uh, you know, I usually sit 45 minutes a couple of times a day and then longer on the weekends, maybe two or three hours. Um, and I'm not having any lapses in my practice and it's easy. Mm -hmm. So this is a change for me and I'm 
That's awesome. And, you know, I was telling the group that there's a lot of uh, suffering in my life or there could be a lot of suffering in my life, but I'm able to relinquish uh, the thoughts and feelings uh, of a brother who recently had a heart attack and a stroke. My parents are in poor health and mm. a lot of, you know, problems, but just I'm finding that I can do what needs to be done to fix the problems and then let go of the, uh, the emotions and the suffering. So, mm. so it's a wonderful practice. Thank you. Yeah, sorry to hear about your family. Oh, quick question. Like when you said um, you're able to hold on to Mu throughout the day, um, could you unpack that? Like what does, how does that manifest or how would you describe the holding on to? Like how does that, if you want to unpack the subtleties of holding on to that. Well, Mu is my diamond sword and I use it to cut off thoughts, feelings, and perceptions. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm using it when I'm sitting in meditation and then I'm also focusing my mind on Mu as opposed to worrying or uh, mm -hmm. about the past or worrying about the future. You know, there's planning, but, you know, planning is something that doesn't become um, rumination. You know, mm -hmm. where you, you know, you plan, but you just keep planning, you keep planning, and it's not improving anything, or you worry, and you keep worrying, and nothing's getting fixed. So it's more use my brain to fix whatever I can fix, and then let go of what can't be fixed. Um, and how would you describe experientially Moo itself? It's, it becomes everything and nothing at all. Mm -hmm. uh, if your mind is focused on Mu, then you let go of the, the fleeting thoughts that come in your mind when you're sitting or sensation or you hear a sound. So seeing becomes not seeing, hearing becomes not hearing, uh, feeling becomes not feeling. There's only Mu. Mu is the entire universe and it okay. doesn't mean anything or what it means is nothing, which is perfect. <laughs> um, so just a Zen technique, you know, in Japanese Zen, they use Mu when they're sitting. And in Korean and Chinese, they use Mu or try to use a koan throughout the day. Uh, mm -hmm. So different styles of the same sect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's so interesting that when we look from one perspective, there's something there. And if you look from a different perspective, there's nothing there. And then when we look at the two perspectives is that something's definitely not there, but appearing as being there. And, and, and I think that this is the, you know, with, within that view, uh, we have compassion and wisdom because we know we see that something's there and and we definitely see that other beings think that something's there and so therefore they're suffering and so we have compassion and connection to compassion just so important when we're seeing that nothing's there because we definitely want to you know hold on to that compassion but then we don't want that to lead you know that that nothingness that's there when the labels fall away then the wisdom's there 
that wisdom piece is there. So non-attachments there that we could, we could live liberated because of the non-attachment. And then also being in a very kind um, and present way with, with it all, you know, um, thank you. Thank you for unpacking that. Yeah, Rick. Uh, you're on mute. During the talk, you said that <laughs> concentration is easy. I just wanted you to kind of explain that because it's not for me, but um, just was wondering um, if maybe I'm trying too hard or something, but um, I find it probably of all the things we do to be the most difficult. Yeah, thank you for, for bringing that up. A lot of times we do try too hard. Um, when we see the mind fall into dullness, one of the reasons why it falls into dullness is just that, is that we're trying too hard. The mind gets fatigued because we're not used to working it out and the mind will get fatigued very quickly. But most of all, we have to understand what is focused and what is not focused. The mind is naturally focused. The mind is naturally present. Um, if we're focused on this bowl, so the mind is on this bowl, the mind can only be taken away from the bowl is if you grab onto a thought that's passing by. Grabbing onto a thought, grabbing, grasping is a verb. It's, an, it's effortful, right? So you effort your way out of concentration, right? So you, you grab onto it and you're away. If you were to do nothing at all, the mind would never leave the bowl. So, so what we actually do is we, we try less, the less effort, the less effort you, you, you have, the more the mind will, this is why, you know, Tibetan, the Dzogchen, which is like resting in the, in the nature of mind. This is why they use that word so often. You rest in the true nature of your mind. It's true. You're resting. And this is true rest. This is why I feel so good. We're nourished in every single way imaginable. And it's also why the sages don't, don't sleep, right? Because there's so much effort that it takes to run away with these thoughts every single moment. There's so much effort in that. It just takes the slightest bit of effort to become effortless in the noticing, right? So if we notice where we are, just that in that, in that noticing, we're already back. There's actually nothing else that needs to be done to allow the mind to rest in its natural essence other than the noticing by noticing we're already back and then what we what we strive to do after that is like oh i'm going to keep it here as soon as we strive to keep it here it runs away again into concept this is absolutely nothing to do you cannot add anything to awareness and you can't take anything away from awareness Right? You can't add anything to it. You can't take anything away. It's naturally here and present and completely in its full, rich, luminous, vibrant state already. We're just noticing that it's here. It's a wellspring of focus, of energy, of virya already. Right? Hmm. Yeah, so... 
I was more thinking about, you know, the idea of three minutes. I know we're getting close to time, but three minutes of focused on a candle and then one minute off. And how is that? I mean, it's just like keeping aware. I mean, it's just like just staying with the, the candle flame. I mean, that's, you know, to me, that's that's very challenging. Yeah, and and, and it, it is because of that that moment-to-moment -moment addiction to thinking, right? And so when you're doing that practice, which I love the 3-1 the practice for concentration, the three minutes on, one minute's off, and even that one minute off, we could just rest in openness. But when you're resting your gaze there, really tune in to how light your concentration can be and still be there right? And your stability of mind. So when you rest your gaze on the candle flame or anything, as light as a feather, right? Light as a feather, light as a feather, right? And then we're, and we're not training and focusing the mind on the object. We're training the mind not to leave the object. That's the difference. We think we're actually trying to stay on the object. We're actually training the mind not to leave the object. So we think there's a battle going on, like staying on. You know, actually we're noticing is the mind being pulled. And this will get to the point where it's like almost like an impression of like, oh, it's, a, oh, it's almost like a magnet being drawn away. But right now it just snatches us up, right? Yeah, and, and that's totally normal, of course, because the mind is used to grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. It's going to feel like effort, but is there effort in not eating the cake? That's the type of effort we're talking about. We're not talking about digging a ditch. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Maybe just dedicating the merit really quickly. Yeah, just like Rick was saying that we got to take care of this place on all these different levels. So just dedicating the merit that all beings everywhere without exception can find that in internal freedom and then that we all do the compassionate acts outwardly as well to ensure the more happiness and less suffering of all beings omani bimium Thank you, everyone. You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.